Well, good morning, everyone. You uh, see two of us up here again. We're going to have another go at some things here today. Last uh, week, we had an interesting morning, an interactive morning. We had some fun uh, with Kevin asking questions of James and I, and uh, also some interactive live polling on the screen if you were here. We're going to reflect back on some of those summaries here today. But I know that for some of us simple men, there was a lot of moving parts last week. Right, James? Yes. Yes. There are. So we, we wanted to keep things a little bit simpler today. So today, James and I are just going to kind of unpack about three more questions about spiritual gifts and just kind of go back and forth. And hopefully it will bring some clarity, not only to us, but also, also to each of you as well. So this morning, we're on the last Sunday of our spiritual gift series. We've been in this for a number of weeks through most of June and I know for me, it's been challenging, encouraging, insightful, uh, just to, to spend time in these texts again and to understand more of what God has uh, for us uh, in this series. So as I mentioned, we want to start with about three basic questions uh, that we want to try to address through the course of this morning. And the first one was one that came right at the end of last week, which if you were here, you, you heard the question, and it was this question about these two different views of how we understand the spiritual gifts. One of them being a cessationist view that the gifts have ceased, and the other being uh, what you might call a a continuist view of the gifts. And so we wanted to start there and give a bit of a description about uh, each of these views and have some kind of understanding uh, of that. First of all, as as I mentioned, the cessationist view is basically that the charismatic gifts, it's primarily talking about those charismatic gifts of tongues, healing, miracles, prophecy, the apostolic that those have ceased, that they ended with the New Testament, they ended with the close of the canon of the Bible, and uh, that they are not for the church today, but that they were something that was there for the early church and the apostles at that time. The continuationist view would see that all the spiritual gifts, including the charismatic gifts of tongues, healings, miracles, prophecy, apostolic, continue throughout history. And that they're actually still active, they're necessary, they're needed for the church, for the maturity of the church, for the edification of God and each other, and so that they're necessary for today. One of the things that we need to realize is this is not a new debate. This is a debate that has been going on for centuries. Uh, This is a debate that uh, churches have divided over, that denominations have split over, that people have not uh, necessarily agreed on. And I want to just sort of jump to the end position uh, that we have as a Mennonite Brethren Church, Mennonite Brethren denomination, and also as uh, a church of Forest Grove, is that we hold the continuationist view, that we see that these gifts continue, and that they are there for the church, that they are alive and active and needed for for today, uh, even though we recognize that there are some really unique expressions of those gifts that we see in the New Testament, but that each of these have an expression and a place uh, in the church for today. So that'd be a bit of an introduction to that. James, why don't you pick it up from there and continue to talk about the difference between these two views. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, and this is something that I've spent a lot of time just praying through this morning. There's so many things that we could say. Bruce and I were kind of laughing before the services. We were talking this through. He has a full sermon there. I have a full sermon right here that we could preach. So we have to exercise a lot of discernment as we're up here. Like, God, what am I supposed to say and what am I not? So, Bruce, you can chuck your Bible at me when you think I'm supposed to be done, and I may or may not stop at that time, but this is what I sense I want to share this morning. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 
verses uh, 10 and 11, and he's talking about Jesus. He says, he who descended, in other words, Jesus who came down to this earth, also ascended to the highest heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then he says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And I've shared this before in a sermon. I just want to quickly reiterate what I had sent back then. What I believe Paul is saying to us is that Jesus, at his ascension, as he would no longer be present in his bodily form, he seated into the church these five functions that Paul mentions that I believe actually characterize the ministry of Jesus. That he was the greatest apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to ever live. And that when he left, we as the body of Christ are to carry on the movement that he began. And he seated these functions or these impulses, these capacities into the body. And so that's kind of the, the, the point I want to start with. But there is an idea in, in cessationism that has reduced the ministry of Jesus and his church today down to only three. And that is the evangelist and the, and the shepherd and the teacher. And this is the idea that they have around it. The idea is that the apostolic and the prophetic giftings and those callings have ceased as they're no longer needed after the canonization of Scripture. So what they're saying is that one of the key functions of the apostles and, and of prophets was to write material that would be canonized in Scripture, and once Scripture was there, they were no longer needed. And so what they're assuming then is that these impulses, these apostolic impulses or prophetic impulses, so the apostle is thinking about mission and about reaching out. It's all about extension and about reaching people for Christ and church planting. And a prophet is calling people back to truth, making sure that we are obedient to the covenant we are in with Christ. So what they're saying is those impulses are actually now just seeded into Scripture. And they're concepts that you can read there, but they're not actually embodied by anybody. We don't actually need to live them. And so, without touching on all the different dynamics of that argument, I just want to really quickly just say, that's primarily a pushback on how those two functions of apostle and prophet have been misused and abused in Scripture, or or, sorry, in in the church throughout history. So there are those who have taken those giftings and those callings and have said, I have apostolic and prophetic power and authority given to me by the Holy Spirit that I can wield in the church. And it has created a lot of confusion and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. The truth is this. The very purpose of all of the gifts is to empower us to do the ministry of Jesus, to do what he did for the reasons that he did them and how he did them. That's the whole point. And what did Jesus say? I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So as a prophet, as an apostle, you're actually called to die and to serve the church with all that you have in great humility, in the power of the Spirit. And so really quickly, before Bruce actually does throw something at me, um, here's my thought. And this is what it has to do now with spiritual gifts that we're talking about. I believe that these five-fold ministry identities or callings that Paul gives us in Ephesians 4, are actually, they actually form like an umbrella under which all of the other spiritual gifts fit. In other words, you're not going to understand your unique giftings 
until you understand also your identity in Christ. That these spiritual gifts are actually given you so you can, that you can perform one of these functions or a combination of these functions. And so I believe that your gifts will start to make sense when you also understand your unique ministry calling. And so I just want to challenge you this before I hand it over to Bruce. Is it wrong for you? So you might accept that this is okay for a leader, but it is okay for you. If we take Ephesians 4 and what Paul has said there, is it okay for you to come to me or to come to Bruce or one of the pastors and say, I believe that God has actually given me an apostolic calling. And that's actually my identity. And that's how I see things. I just have this passion to plant churches, or I have a passion to see the mission of Christ accomplished in the, in, in the body and in the world. Is that okay? Is that okay for you? Or the prophetic gifting? Is that just for leaders? In the New Testament that was happening, has that ceased? Or does that still happen today? So we would see these gifts as continuing, and as James said, a lot of the pushback has come from, at times, the abuse of certain gifts, which can happen with any of the gifts. Um, one of the things that strikes me is that the church, especially in North America, has largely, in the last decades, been led by the pastor-teacher. And I really believe, and we see throughout the world, that in the days to come and the years to come, we need much more of the apostolic and prophetic in terms of leading in the church that God is calling out the apostolic and the prophetic again to lead globally and also locally in that way. And so with the abuses that have happened over the years where these gifts aren't used with humility, there's been a lot of pushback, which is understandable. These gifts need to have that humility. It's not about opening up Scripture or opening up the canon again and saying, no, no, we're adding to that. No, we're simply now not adding to the foundation of Christ or the foundation of the church, but we're adding application. We're now applying these New Testament principles in different ways. Um, but everything has to be held up to Scripture. And we see that in Scripture. In First Thessalonians 5, it talks about test these words of prophecy. Test them. Bring them to the leaders of the church and test them. In First uh, John 4, it talks about test the spirits. You need to test these things. And so all of these gifts are submitted under the authority of Scripture and the authority of the church. Uh, but they still would be held today and important for the church uh, to move forward. Uh, James, before I move on, I'm going to have you start with the next question, which is about natural gifts and spiritual gifts. I want to just pause for a minute and just pray for us, and then I'm going to have you step into that next uh, question. So, Lord, even as we talk about these things, we, we recognize that the enemy doesn't want us to understand and see. So, Spirit of God, would you bring peace to this place, peace to our hearts? And, Spirit of God, would you just fill us with your Spirit? May you be powerful among your people here today. Help us to hear and to see what you have for us. And God, may your peace dwell in this place. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see um, your church in the way that you see your church and the beautiful gifts that you give as a loving, heavenly Father. Spirit of God, awaken us to your presence today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So James, the next question was related to natural gifts versus spiritual gifts, and we kind of ran out of time on this one last week as well too. So why don't you start and just speak a little bit about that. Yeah, we both felt that we needed to dig uh, deeper into this. And I think for us to understand the differences between the two, the natural versus the spiritual giftings, I think we need to dig a little deeper into our understanding of gifts. 
and also the overall an understanding of the overall ministry of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is all about. So just to start, a deeper understanding of our gifts. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, Paul doesn't, doesn't give us a specific definition of gifts. He does not say, okay, this is what a gift is, and he defines it. But what he does say very clearly is he talks about exactly what they do. And we've talked about this, we've mentioned this uh, numerous times, that, that each one is given for the edification of the body. So I think what we need to understand is we have to have the right understanding of what does Paul mean by edification? What does that word even mean? Uh, what is meant to happen when we exercise a spiritual gift? And I think we can find a clue in what Paul is thinking about this in 1 Corinthians 1. I'll just read it, verses 4 to 6. He says, I always thank God for you. Because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, in Christ Jesus, you have been enriched in every way. In all your speaking and in all of your knowledge. So let me ask you. What gives life to your soul? So I'm not talking about you're meeting with somebody and you're having a great conversation and you feel really encouraged emotionally or relationally you just feel like you're just getting, your, your tank is being filled or that mentally you just have, you have a more sense of peace about you know, your, your life and circumstances because you had a conversation or you had an experience. What I'm talking about is what touches your soul, the very essence of who you are, that place where you meet with God. That place where you deliberate and you make decisions. The place where God meets with you. What ministers to your soul? The essence of who you are. I know for myself, it's a person. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus can actually minister to my soul and actually give life to my soul. It's, it's, it's when someone empowered by the Holy Spirit does something or says something that makes Jesus known to me in a way that I've never seen him before. I experience his love, his grace, his mercy, his power, whatever it is, and my eyes are opened again to the beauty of Jesus and it transforms me and it gives life to my soul when something about him is made known to me. Jesus said in John 17, verse 2, and he's actually speaking about himself. He's praying to God the Father, but he's actually referring to himself. He says, for you have granted him. In other words, you've granted me, Jesus. You've granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. So what Jesus is saying is that I have been given the authority to give you life. Jesus has been given the authority to give you life, to bring life to your soul. And then listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and that they may know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He says, that's life. Eternal life is that they might know me. So what brings life to your soul? It's knowing Jesus. 
encountering him. The risen Christ who is alive. And he shows up in your life and he reveals himself to you and he brings life to your soul. So I can read scripture and it is good. But when Jesus touches me and opens my eyes through scripture, it transforms my life. So I believe that when Paul is talking about edification that comes through the gifts, he's actually talking about what happens. The Holy Spirit empowers us through an ability, through word, through, through whatever it might be. An ability that he's given us and Jesus is revealed to someone. Someone experiences Jesus through us. And then, really quickly, and then I'm going to pass it over to Bruce. What is the heart and the core of the Holy Spirit's work today? Is he all just about giving us power to do things that we could not otherwise do? Is he all about giving us the ability to perform certain things? Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, verse 14, about the Holy Spirit. He says, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That was the core work of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are the Holy Spirit empowering us through word and action to make Jesus known, because that is the number one goal of Jesus, or sorry, of the Holy Spirit. He's not only about power or perfection, about the gifts, and about, you know, giving us certain perceptions and the ability to understand truths we could never before. He is about actually mediating for us the presence of Jesus. He wants to glorify Jesus, to make known to us Jesus, and to make known to the world that Jesus is alive, He's present with us, and he's at work. Amen. I love listening to James because you see his gifting come out in the passions and the things that he emphasizes, which is part of the beauty of the spiritual gifts. So let me come at this question uh, in a bit of a different way. So I think that for every spiritual gift, there's a natural expression of that in some form. But there's something unique that happens when We put our lives in Jesus. He puts his spirit in us. And so then we have the power of the spirit within us. We have the gifts of the spirit within us. We have the fruit of the spirit within us. They grow in maturity and they do so in the context of community. And sometimes it comes through pain. Sometimes it comes through sharpening one another. But in community, these gifts of the spirit and the evidence of the fruit of the spirit grow in us over time. So what I hear you saying, James, and as we've been talking through this, as we think about, well, what makes something a spiritual gift? I would summarize it in in three things. Uh, First of all, that it is something that feeds your soul, going back to what you were just saying, that there's this connection, this connection point of there's something intuitive within you that goes, this is how God wired me. And secondly, what it does is it builds up the body of Christ. It builds up the church. It's for the common good. We've been talking about that over these last weeks. So not only is it something that that has you connected with God intimately and feeds your soul, but secondly, it builds up the church. It's for the sake of community. And then thirdly, it glorifies Jesus. It glorifies God. It doesn't glorify us. It's not about putting ourselves on a pedestal, but it puts Jesus on a pedestal, 
and it says that Jesus is Lord. And so that, as we think about those, those are some of the things that help us to understand when we see something as a spiritual gift, that those three things become so evident and so uh, important. As I was looking at this question and thinking about even spiritual power in the Old Testament, what struck me was that we see evidence that there actually is spiritual power in, the, in Scripture in a variety of places that would not be of, of God. It would be of some other kind of power that would be there as well. Think about these examples. In the story in Acts chapter 16, there's this girl who had this power to predict the future. And, and she was earning money for her handlers that, that had her using this gift that seemed to be very evidently had some power in it. And the Apostle Paul finally gets tired of her and he actually calls out this spirit from her and says to leave her. And, and so there is a power there that's real, but it's a defeated power. And Jesus is over that power. I think of the story of Exodus chapter 7 where Moses and Aaron, they're before Pharaoh. And, and how Aaron's staff, if you remember, becomes a snake in front of, uh, and to show God's power. Well, what happens is Pharaoh's wise men and sorcerers, they also put a staff down that becomes a snake as well. It's like, okay, there's some kind of power there. Now, interestingly, Aaron's snake eats the other one, showing this defeated power that is there. When Moses and Aaron turn the Nile to blood, it says how the Egyptian sorcerers do the same thing. Interesting. We read that in Scripture. When we read Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and the powers of the dark world. It points to this reality as well. But these are defeated powers, defeated by Jesus at the cross. And the test, the question of what is this? Where is this from? We see in 1 Corinthians 12 where the Apostle Paul says, do they confess Jesus as Lord? Do they confess Jesus? So one of the questions, and I have a summary up on a slide that that was asked last week, is are there spiritual gifts beyond what was listed in Scripture? And you can see the responses there. I don't know, 43%. Yes, 44%. No, 13%. And as we talked about last week, it would seem that, that these lists that are given in Scripture are not these exhaustive lists, but that they give us a sampling, an expression of different kind of gifts that are there. But as we incorporate our personalities, incorporate our passions, our abilities, a multitude of expressions of these gifts come out in all kinds of different ways. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 6, Paul summarizes it this way, and, and the ESV translates it like this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So it seems to be pushing in this direction of all of these things are from God. All of these things are unique expressions, opportunities of service, activities that are empowered by God. And they have many, many different expressions. So do our spiritual gifts help us to feel connected to God? And they, they resonate something within us about the way that we've been uniquely created. Do they build up the body of Christ? Are they for the common good? And did they give glory to Jesus? Did they give glory to God and not to ourselves? As we use and as we understand and kind of filter those things through that lens, it helps us to understand these spiritual gifts. Well, let's go to the last question, and we simply call this an application question of where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? And again, there's lots that we could talk about here, but again, we want to encourage you 
on our website, as we indicated, and if you got the, the small group study guide last week, you could see a link. And if you go to our website or on the bulletin app that Kevin talked about, you can see the link that is there. It gives some, some steps and tools and also some definitions of spiritual gifts that can help you understand them a little bit more, not to confine you, but to help to have broader understanding. But one of the other questions that we got at the end of last week, actually after the service, a great question was this, how do we share an awareness of our spiritual gifts and what they are in the congregation? In other words, who is it that's gifted like I am? How do we kind of connect with similarly gifted people and to, in order to mutually encourage one another? It's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that we need to do, first of all, is to talk more about this as we interact with other people. I think sometimes we, we shy away from these kind of conversations, but we need to actually engage in the conversations and ask people about the spiritual gifts that they have. And we'll discover others who have similar gifts. The other thing that I would say is simply observe people more. Affirm them more in terms of the gifts that you see and what you see. Share more of your giftings. In other words, go first to share more of what you really feel that God is stirring within you and some of the gifts that you have. And then also to be in community, that you would be in community. One of the great places for that is in the community of of small groups, that this can happen more and more. So in the, one of the poll questions last week, it said, do you have an understanding of which, uh, of which spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit has given you? And there was essentially a 60-40 split in that answer. 60% of people who said yes, and 40% who said no. I actually was encouraged that it was as high as 60%. I thought, praise God, that at least there are, there are 60% who would say yes to that. Interestingly, another question that we asked last week had almost the identical response, and it was, do you feel empowered or invited to use your spiritual gifts in our church? 65-35. So if you look at those two questions, let's just simplify it to a 60-40 split on both of those questions. Do you have an understanding of your spiritual gift, and do you feel that you have been empowered or invited to use your spiritual gifts? And I wondered, as I looked at these two questions together, is there a correlation between the two? If you feel empowered in your spiritual gift, that you would actually have a better understanding? Or is it that if you have a better understanding of your spiritual gift, that you'll actually have more opportunity to use it and to feel empowered? I'm not sure what the answer to that is. But that was an interesting correlation related to where do we go from here. And then another question that we had was, how would you help use your spiritual, what would help you use your spiritual gifts more effectively within our church? There was a number of responses that you see here. Encouragement and more courage for the two that about 50% in total of the respondents, uh, if you put those two together. If you think about encouragement of, of others encouraging you, and then just having that courage yourself between you and the Holy Spirit of praying and asking God for more courage in using your gifts, discerning your gifts, stepping out in your gifts, uh, is so, so important. And the last polling question was this question of, have you thanked or encouraged someone for using their spiritual gifts in our church? And it was almost about 50-50. Thankfully, a little bit more on the yes side. But just in the last six months, so that we would actually be encouragers of others, of thanking others for using their spiritual gifts, blessing them in one way or another. James, what else would you say in terms of application? Where do we go from here? How do we help take some next steps in this area of spiritual gifts? Well, I don't exactly have the, the, the gift of application. You can see that Bruce certainly does. That's part of his gifting. So I, I think more in, um, in, in big themes, but something that was just coming to my mind, Bruce was sharing, and then he's going to actually give you three steps 
uh, that you can take this week, or one step that you can take out of those three, um, is what Bruce and I have been praying more than anything else is for freedom. Is that you would experience freedom. That's what this is all about. That you could that you could be who Jesus Christ has made you to be. That you could take hold of why He took hold of you. That's our prayer. That's our prayer for the church. And so there are strongholds of thought that keep us from walking in freedom, that bind us to certain things in our life, whether it's shame or fear or, or some form of, of addiction, whatever it might be. And also, we have to understand the power of ideas and how they rule over us. Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. And some of the most powerful rulers and authorities in our world are ideas. Ideas we have in our mind about church, about ourselves, our place in it. Because of what we experienced, maybe the environment we've experienced or the teachings we've had or the culture in which we've grown up in. And I just want to really encourage you, as Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do whatever you can to renew your mind. Spend time in God's Word. Rewrite these pathways, these strongholds of thought that are in your mind. They are actual physical things that you've structured in your mind because you've gone down those pathways so many times and we're trying to get you on another pathway when you're thinking about this. That you can walk in freedom, that you can actually be who you are. It's not that complicated. And so that's how I want to encourage you as Bruce shares these last three things. Walk down a new path. And maybe it's one of these. I'd invite you to just stand as I want to close in prayer. And the worship team, I'd invite you to come up at this time as well too. And I want you to look at these, these three points on the, the slide here about uh, three application points of how you might just take a simple next step uh, in this. Maybe it's as we've talked about that you would just encourage another person or thank another person in regards to spiritual gifts. And, and as, I, as I walk through these, I want you to think of these three of, uh, that you would take hold of at least one of these this week. Like that this week that you would actually intentionally step out in at least one of these steps. That you would thank or encourage somebody really intentionally about the way that they use their gifts and just to encourage them in their gifts. The second one is that you would take a step towards community. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's you're looking to be in a small group or you're engaging or you're thinking of you know, inviting a few others to, to join you in terms of uh, reading scripture together or praying together. I don't know what that looks like, but that you would take a step towards community. And then the third one, that you would ask one person that you trust, that you sense has some kind of gifts of discernment, that you would ask one person, say, hey, what do you see in me in regards to spiritual gifts? And just allow them to speak into your life and see what they have for you, what God has for you, and receive it. So let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us these gifts in the church to encourage us, to help us connect intimately with you. You've given us these gifts for the common good, to build up the body. And you've given us these gifts to give you all the glory. And so, Lord, help us to do that well. And Lord, I pray that maybe one of these steps would be an expression of what we could do this week, to either encourage another person or thank them, to take a step towards community or to ask somebody what they see in us in this regard. 
And Lord, I pray specifically for those who maybe they have some hurts and wounding in this area that you would encourage, that you would bless, that you would comfort, that you would come alongside. I pray, Lord, for those who still have a lot of questions, that that the questions would not immobilize us from moving forward, but that we would trust you and that we would walk in faith, that this is an opportunity to walk in faith in these things that we do not fully see or know or understand. We only know them in part right now. And we know that, Lord. But help us to walk in faith and help us to walk in freedom as a church. So we pray all this for your glory, for your kingdom's sake, and for the sake of your bride, the church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.